Amen? And then we may not see clearly now. Amen? But we'll fellowship on the other side. Amen? And then you'll notice even in the church, the, the simple fact that people disagree, you'll see another spirit that goes to persecuting the children of God. Or persecuting just your brother and anybody. That is not the spirit of Christ. The spirit of Christ is not a, not, not a spirit that persecutes. Amen? It's a spirit of fellowship. And when you see somebody that's a Christian, the moment, this is what I like, I mean, it's just a little, I've been preaching for almost 30 years now, and one thing I like is not where we disagree. I like to see how you act, or when we agree, I like to see how you act when we disagree. You see? Because then immediately, you say, well, brethren, I mean, we may not, we don't always see, and you're probably right, you know I mean? You're probably right, I'm probably seeing it wrong. But we're still in the same family, right? Amen. We still serve the same God, right? Amen. And I've, with that, I used to be, and I'm not going to hold you, I used to be the uh, senior chair of a ministerium. It was a ministerial association where it was 45 of the local churches from all different denominations. It was an area where we could all fellowship. And we hosted a lot of stuff for, uh, for the town that we were in, the National Day of Prayer with the mayor and everything. And then I, they asked me to serve, and I served on it for eight years, and four years I was the senior chair. And there was Presbyterians, Methodists, Baptists, Pentecostals, Catholics, and we actually had an area where we could fellowship because we didn't persecute each other over in our doctrines. And then, one of, this is a funny little story, the Catholic priest would be there, and they would all call him Father, you know what I mean? And I would call him Reverend right? I'd say, how you doing, Reverend Dorsey? Right? And he'd say, oh, Stephen, because a reverend's actually a, a level above him. You can't be called a, in the Catholic Church, you can't be called a reverend unless you're a, a bishop. And he was a priest. And I'd say, how you doing, Reverend Dorsey? He said, oh, Stephen, you can't call me reverend. <laughs> but all of them call him father, but the Bible says call no man father. And him and I would laugh and joke about it because I'm not calling him father, right? And then they knew the way, the way some of, like, I don't hold to uh, the, where God, in the Bible, the Apostle Paul said, I don't allow a woman to preach in the church, right? So they knew that that was my doctrine. So when they had, where they were going to have a woman preacher for the service, they said, well, you know, Reverend, Reverend Martha or whatever, she's going to preach the service. They said, whose church are we going to have it in? And they'd say, well, we all know we can't have it in Stephen's church. I'd say, yeah, that's right. <laughs> You see, and we laughed and joked and we had fellowship. Amen? But I rarely see that amongst churches. Amen? You respect each other's beliefs. Let us fellowship and, and hold the same, do hold our doctrines. You know what I mean? Our personal beliefs. Well, inside the church, it's the same thing. You may not, I'm going to bring up a little sermon. You may not agree with it all. It's okay. Amen? This is my understanding. Amen? And, and that's fine. But we're eating from the same manna, right? Which is Jesus Christ. Amen. So, if we could, let's open up to Revelations, the first chapter. And I'm just going to read the first verse, and then I'm going to let you be seated, because I'm going to jump into the service. <clears throat> so, Revelations 1, the first verse says... 
the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. You may be seated. Now, John's the last apostle alive. And I brought in last week, the church is changing right now in this, at this time. <coughs> the church is changing. The, Jew, the Jewish church is fading. Amen? And there's a, a changing of the guards, if we will say. And in the middle of the changing of the guard, God comes and he's going to write one last thing. The reason being is because the, the Bible, Old and New Testament, is a Hebrew book. Amen? It was written by Hebrews to the church. And we're about to have a changing of the guards. If you'll notice, God actually took and made a people. And he made the Jewish people. And he did it for one reason. That was where he could bring his religion. Amen? So when he made the Jewish people, it was a place to encapsulate or catch or hold God's scripture. Amen? And God said this, and now you'll, and I'm, I'm going to take this slow, and if it takes me a couple of sermons, it'll be all right. If you'll notice, and this, the reason I do this is because this will really help your world vision to see things that are taking place in your time and as you get older and things that are to come. When God created the human race, Man fell in the Garden of Eden. It was 2,000 years, and God said, I'll destroy man because man had gotten so wicked. And the Bible says God repented that he had made man and said, I will destroy man off the face of the earth whom I have made. So then he brings in Noah with the ark. And if you'll notice, this, this I can't get into it now, but you'll notice you had all these people that were upon the breast of the earth. It all narrows down, comes through what we call the ark. Or, but you'll notice the human race funnels like an hourglass. That was for a reason. It funnels and comes back out and spreads. I'll get into that later. But what he does, I repent that I made man, and then he funneled it. We're through the ark, and then the ark was upon the breast of the waters, and sat, and the waters didn't rescind, where Noah could come back out for a year. And then, the Bible says that the ark set upon Mount Arad, and they actually have it over there, even the road signs. If you drive, they actually have the state road signs that points left to Noah's ark. And it's set upon Mount Arad. And they came upon the, off the mountain, and there's no one. Imagine it being in the mind of Noah. Outside of this, my family, there's not a single living human being upon the face of the earth. Noah was human, fell into depression. And the Bible says Noah became, actually became a drunk is what he did. But man started, it wasn't too long after that, 
man started becoming wicked again. It's in their hearts to do it. That's where you know the evil's in the world. It's in us. The Bible tells us, evil is in me, that's in my members. And man became wicked upon the face of the earth. This is Revelations 9 through 12. And they started having civilizations and shoving them together and then dominating over them, brutally dominating over them. Then they said they would build a, a tower that they'll send to heaven because if God ever sends a flood and He's going to judge us, we'll climb up and we'll go unto God. And, and the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord said, man is in one mind, I will say this, you take this to the bank, your outlook on life will determine your future. You plant seeds today for the life you'll walk into tomorrow. And if you have a negative mindset or a bad mindset about yourself, you lay that down. If you have a bad mindset about your future, lay that down. And you say, Brother Stephen, I can't. Well, then you come and we'll counsel and pray together till you get a better mindset. The Bible says, and the Spirit of the Lord said, man is in one mind in one accord and nothing will stop him. Why? Because you were created in the image of God. And if you want to go to the heavens, to the heavens you'll go. Amen. If you want to travel to the planets, that's where we're, that's the direction we're currently heading. We will go. Nothing will stop man. Amen. So the Bible says God went down and confused the languages in the middle of their work. And then they disseminated into the earth because of the languages. Now man's wicked. Nobody worships God. Nobody prays. They pray, they pray to their idols. If they bow down and worship something, they worship their idols in their heathen temples. The name of God is not mentioned in the earth nowhere. Why? Because God hasn't, told, God hasn't done anything at that time. But the Bible says, so then remember this, if, if you worship God, it's because He called you. And He said that. It wasn't you seeking me, it was me seeking you. But you have to draw near to God. And the Bible says, God, no man called upon the name of the Lord. God went down and called one man named Abram. Later on would be called Abraham. And he was known as the father of the faithful. And God said, Abram, he was in the land of Shinar. His dad made idols for a living. He was an idol maker. He tended his father's shop. And God called him to serve the one true and living God. If God hadn't done that, nobody would ever call upon the name of the Lord. So then God called Abram and said, listen, through his whole life's journey, he said, Abram, follow me, and I will make you a man of many seed and a nation out of you. Now remember, John 1, God is his word. His word was in the heavens. His word was with God and the word was God. The word emorphed into the bodied Christ. Amen? Before it's 
that same Emorphe came down and took on a robe of flesh. John 1. So God is going to plant that into a nation. So then that's his mind. So then he has to build that. It's not like, it's not like we can build it for him. Because if we did, we'd have a heathen religion. No works that we have done, lest any man should boast. So then God calls Abraham, God, Abraham thinking, I'm just walking along and I'm starting to have a relationship with the self-existing one. That's all Abraham knows him as. He doesn't know whether he's a good self-existing or a bad self-existing. He just knows he is the Elohim, self-existing. Now, your understanding of God, I may, I may preach God to you, but unless God reveals himself to you, you won't know him. And God is known by what? Revelation. His word has been personally, not by the preacher, it has been personally, through him, revealed to you on an individual basis. Now, I know faith cometh by hearing, hearing that of the word. The word is preached, and God reveals. If he doesn't reveal, there's nothing that happens. It's the, it's the Germanized seed. So then God is going to call Abraham, and then out of it, he's going to make a nation. Then he's going to plant his word in that nation. And then after a while, he's making a bedding ground for that word to strike and be made flesh. Amen? So, Abraham, he's following God, and then God starts revealing himself more and more to Abraham. Remember when he reveals himself as Jehovah? Jireh, the Lord is a provider. Abraham never knew him any, any further beyond that, outside of Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. But that was such a revelation to Abraham. In all situations, God will provide, God will provide. God will provide. And you'll see a person that you may know personally that God has revealed them a personal thing to them. And that word is illuminated to them. They say it. Every time something comes up, it's the first thing they go to. It might be a healer. They were sick and God actually healed them. And that's such a bright light in their life. And they'll apply it to everything. It was physical healing to him, but they'll say, Luke, uh, the Lord can heal that relationship, Luke. See? They'll say, uh, yeah, yeah, but the Lord, can, the Lord can fix that. He can heal it, Sister Christina. See what I mean? It's all about healing to him because that's what's been revealed to him. But I want to say this. What happens if God continues to reveal to you like that? Amen? Amen? That's what you want him to do. So then we're coming down to where God made a nation. And out of that nation came the body of Christ. I will say this. God kept saying to those Jewish people, serve me, and if you don't serve me, I'll wipe you off. Throughout all the prophets, and they had a tumultuous time with God. God looked at that nation like his wife, and he talked to it about it like his wife through the prophets, and said, I loved you, and you were, you were a mess when I found you. You were naked in the field, and, and, and I clothed you. I cleaned you. I made you my wife. I put you in, in uh, clean garments, and I cleaned up your, your, your uh, well, I don't want to get into it, what he said, but it's, it's kind of, it's, it's revealing. 
but he said, how I cleaned you up. Then I actually put the wedding garments on you, and you were my wife, but then you went and committed adultery on me with other gods. And then my jealous wrath, it was a fury, and I wanted to destroy you, but then I loved you, and I wanted to hug you, and then I wanted to hate you. Back and forth, constantly. And then she had cheated on him so much to where he said, I'm done with you. And through the mouth of Jeremiah and Isaiah preaching to the different parts of Israel, he said, I'm done with you. And then he brings in Babylon and wipes the nation off completely. He what? He was hot with jealousy. And when you realize God is like us, where did you think we get all these emotions? He was hot with jealousy. And then he wiped her off. But then what comes up? Comes up those unfulfilled words. Those unfulfilled prophecies of the coming Christ. So then he prophesies through Daniel when they're down in Babylon. Daniel gets to crying and weeping. How can I be happy? They're like, Daniel, why are you so sad? The king, why are your countenance falling? Daniel said, how can I be happy? When the temple of my God is laying in ruins and the, and, the, and the altar and the doors are burnt. And the king tells Daniel to go rebuild. Or Ezra, excuse me, not Daniel. Ezra and Nehemiah. Well, then what was it? It was God carrying a seed back into the land of Jerusalem so he could rebuild a little bit. Remember, listen to this. They went out. And this is 400 years before Christ came. They went out, rebuilt the walls in troublesome times. Then you had the time of the Maccabees, or the 400 silent years. And the, the time of the Maccabean Wars, they were back and forth, and they, they couldn't really get how they were going to rule over themselves. So they had this big Roman Empire back here that had taken over the, uh, the Greek world, Alexander the Great's world. And they're a barbaric nation. And then the Maccabees come over here and say, well, aren't you just help us settle our disputes? And Rome comes in. All right, we'll help. And they look around and go, huh, we'll help and we'll keep. And they did. They never left. They just subjugated them. Well, that's actually the world that Christ was born into. You had Herod which was a Jew, Herod ruled over the Jewish people, King Herod. But then you also had Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate was the Roman emperor because Rome always let the subjects rule themselves, just their king or their president or their emperor answer to the Roman emperor. And they were both in the same providence, wherever they were at. So Herod answered to Pilate. So remember, God was doing this for one reason. The only reason he allowed them to come back up out of Babylon was because that seed of the woman that he promised to Eve, thy, thy seed shall crush the head of the serpent, had to have a place to land. And it couldn't land in a heathen bedding ground. So it landed in the moment, listen, the moment he was done, Christ was nailed to Calvary. Taken down, he ascended on high. Came back, preached to his disciples. 
and started, the Holy Spirit came back and started the first church. The moment he was done, he reached over to the Jewish nation and went, and she's been like that ever since. Ever since. Why? Because remember when he was hot with jealousy and said, you've cheated on me for the last time? I'm done with you? He meant it. He never was not done. He just allowed him to be a nation for a little time so Christ could be born. But the moment that prophecy was fulfilled, or those prophecies were fulfilled, he reached back down and did exactly what he said he was going to do. And like that, he scraped the ground. And let heathens, we call nowadays Palestinians, just flood the land. They were Muslims. And how the Palestinians get there? You remember the time of Mecca? They would always go up to Mecca. These people that did their yearly journey to Mecca, and they never left. They just stayed in that land. That's how they got there. Well, remember, God promised in the time of the Jews, and I'm just trying to lay you out your Bible so you understand a little bit better. He promised the Jews would get seven years of his ministry. They only got three and a half. So he promised them another three and a half. Well, any Jew ever since God, when Abraham, God called Abraham and told him to sojourn to me, with me. God came and sat him in Palestine. Every time Abraham got out of Palestine, remember we went down to Egypt? Because there was a famine. He was backslid. He was backslid. He had to come back to where God had established him. Because God only deals with Israel as a nation in the land of Palestine. Anytime they're out of that, they're backslid. So then God promised a little remnant would be saved. Remember the Apostle Paul said to the Gentiles, don't boast yourself against the Jews like you idiots. You didn't see the coming Messiah, the incarnate God, and we did? He said, don't, don't do that. Remember, blindness in part. God blinded Israel for your sake. Had Israel not been blinded, literally blinded, God reached and recovered their eyes with his own hands. That's why when he was hanging on the cross, what was his last prayer about the Jews? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And he said, blindness is in part unto Israel for the sake of the Gentiles. You and I. Because had he not done that, it would have brought in the millennial reign and there would be no Gentile ever saved. But Israel is servants. They serve God's palace. And that's why he said, you are my servants. But God wanted a bride. And he said, I took out of the Gentiles a people for my namesake so she could take my name. And we could rule and reign together. And the Jews would be servants in the palace. That's what he was making. So he reached over, blinded the eyes of the Jews, and what did that do? That brought a break in the timeline. So they got three and a half years year, and the Apostle Paul said, when God is done, when he calls out of the Gentiles, a Gentile is anything that's not a Jew. When he calls out of the Gentiles from the people across the world, he calls out a people for his namesake or the bride of Christ, 
He brings back in the three and a half years, destroys the world, and brings in the millennial reign. And he got himself a bride. Something that could be called by his name. That's why you're called Miss Jesus. That's why he refers to you as the bride of Christ. Amen? That's why it says in Revelations, she's clean. Remember? Remember what was Israel? Always unclean. But he comes over and says, she is clean. Revelations 19. She's dressed in white remnant. And the white remnant is the cleanliness of the saints. Amen? That's the timeline. That's what he's doing. So then, what is he about to do in his mind? The Jews don't know. The Jews just thinking, he'll be back any time. Poor things. He's about to do what he had tended to do. Scrape you off. And Christ said in Matthew 24 that the Jews would be wiped off. And he said right at the end time, know this, when you see the Jews become a nation again, or the olive branch is tender, lift up your head for the time draweth an eye. Look up your head and look, he's coming. And for 2,000 years, the Jews had not had one place to call home. They were scattered throughout all the nations of the world. Amen. Why? Because the Jews circled around the thing we call the temple. And they knew in the temple there was an ark, and over top of that ark was the mercy seat, and the Logos sat, and in the wilderness it was a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. Well, here's the Christian people. He didn't want them looking to the ark or the temple. So what did he do? Wiped it off. And then when Christ was hanging on Calvary, the Bible says in the middle of the day, from the bottom to the top, the veil that veiled in the temple was ripped. Well, you're like, what's the significance of that? Because no Jew could ever look beyond the veil. If they did, it was immediate death. The high priest was the only person out of all the priests and the Levites, the high priest was the only one that could break that veil. And he did it once a year. Because this seat, well, it's the judgment seat. Well, God would just destroy the whole earth, all the Jews, every one of them had sins like crazy. But the only way that this seat wouldn't be the judgment seat of God sitting back there judging the world is if it was a mercy seat. Well, the only way it becomes a mercy seat is the same seat. But if you sprinkle blood of an innocent one on that seat, that judgment seat becomes a mercy seat. You see? But if you went over and wiped the blood off, immediately it's a judgment seat. There's no blood on it. There's no blood of the innocent. So we're seeing... God told Moses, what you see in heaven, because Moses was called up, what you see here, make it on earth. So Moses did that. So he had a mercy seat or a judgment seat. Well, the high priest, to keep that as a mercy seat, the high priest had to walk back behind the veil once a year. And you remember how they slew the lamb? It was an innocent lamb. 
that was atoning for the sins of Israel. The lamb didn't do anything wrong. And they had to judge that lamb, watch that lamb. And then now that lamb, that was an innocent lamb, they said it's perfect. There's not even one wrong hair on this lamb. It's worthy to be killed for the sins of Israel. So the high priest would walk up on that big altar. It was a huge altar. It would be about two stories high. He'd walk up there and it would be burning and everything. And then he would take that and lay that on the altar. And you hear him when you read in the Bible, the horns of the altar. Well, there were big horns. They just looked like that. Why? It's because you'd walk over, lay that lamb down where that lamb's kicking. And you would tie him, strap him down where he can't move to the horns of the altar. Then the lamb's going, meh, 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 trying to get free. And that priest would reach over and pull its head back and slice its neck. And you think, wow, that is brutal, yeah? And the lamb's still alive. And the blood is just spewing, and the lamb's crying, crying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. It was a mess. It's a mess, but it was the only thing God would accept. And then that priest, they would, when it was done and he'd finally die, the priest would drain the blood into a censer. It was the high priest, actually. And now the high priest would walk behind the veil. And the most notable thing, sin could not enter the presence of God. So if that high priest was living in secret sin, the moment he broke that, he would die, dead. Well, who's going to go back there and get him? The moment you break the veil, you'll die. They would tie a rope to his foot. And the high priest would wear a garment, a long garment, and around the bottom of it were pomegranates and bells. And he would have to walk like this. Moses told him how to walk. And he would have to play a tune. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty when he's coming into his presence. And those bells would just chain. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And he would break the veil. And here's the Levites and the other priests, and they're listening. And the moment those bells stopped, they knew he was struck down by the Almighty. And they would pull him out from underneath the carpet or from the curtain. And once a year, he'd have to go back there. And he would take the censer, and he would walk back there. And he would, the Bible says he would take it. And first, he would take the smoke. Smoke would be filling it so he couldn't see the presence of God, the face of God. And the whole room was smoky with the smoke censer. And then when it was smoky, he would take it and take seven drops of blood and throw it Seven drops of blood on the judgment seat. And that judgment seat now was a mercy seat. And it would last for a year. And Israel could receive mercy for a year. And everybody knew the Shekinah. Shekinah means the presence of God was behind that veil. That's how holy it was to them. And nobody was allowed to touch that ark. One time the ark was stumbling on the road when they were carrying it. And it was all wrapped up. 
and a guard just reached over and put his hand to stable the ark, and he was struck dead. Don't touch my ark. You don't have a right to touch it. I am holy. Remember that. That's what God was trying to get across to the people. Why? Because they wanted to be, listen, the Bible says, the fear of God is the very beginning of wisdom. Don't take God lightly. So when you receive the grace of God, know what grace is. Listen to this. You know the Bible says the meek shall inherit the earth? This actual word translated properly is the strong that are self-contained shall inherit the earth. Meek as in weak person. Weak is not a, being weak is not a virtue. Because you're, you're the, the weakest person in the room is not a virtue, but the fact that you're so strong but yet you're self-contained with humility is a virtue. Well, when you know the strength and the judgments of God, and yet from that God we have received grace upon grace, then we realize the grace that has been extended upon us. So God wanted to establish His august presence or His awesomeness. So when Christ was hanging on Calvary, you can imagine what it meant to those Jews. They just crucified the veiled God. And the Bible says from the top to the bottom, that veil was ripped. It was open. The Shekinah. All mankind had access to the Shekinah of God. The Shekinah that used to be behind that veil is now hanging on Mount Calvary hanging on Mount Calvary. That's what was so awesome about it. And he cried out when he looked upon the Jews and he said, forgive them for they don't know what they do. God blinded an apostle Paul, catching that revelation, said blindness in part unto Israel is for a time. It was so God could redeem out of the Gentiles a people for his namesake. God wants a bride. And throughout all the ages, he calls. There'll be many saved. Many are called. Few are chosen. So there'll be millions upon millions upon millions upon millions and millions of people that'll be saved. Very few will be his bride. See, it's not like I make myself my, his bride. No, he chooses. We all choose our own wife. That's why... He proposes, will you be mine? And she can what? Accept or reject. But it's him that makes the proposal. Remember, marriage, the institution of marriage is a Christian institution. It's based upon this. God's relationship with his church. Out of all the people he saves, here, there, here, there, 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 a few he calls to be his wife. And this is where the Apostle Paul said in Corinthians 7, uh, Corinthians 7, Know you not, talking to the bride, you shall judge angels? Judge angels? I thought we come up in the judgment. No, the whole world comes up in the judgment. Many will be saved, many will be lost. But what? His bride, like every queen, will sit with him in judgment. And the Apostle tells us, the Bible tells us, that if you are chastened or corrected by the Lord. Let a man judge himself. Corinthians 11. Let a man judge himself. 
And if he is judged, he is chastened or quickened or rebuked by the Lord. He is rebuked by the Lord. Why? So what? If, and if you are rebuked by the Lord, you are cleansed. So what? So that you'll not be judged in the general population when the world is judged. You see? It's our walk here. And listen to what he said, Revelation 19. An angel, the Bible says, coming along at the end of time. The very end, wrapping it all up. The Bible says a mighty angel steps out and steps forward. Remember, an angel with one little finger, wormwood, destroyed the whole world with a flood. An angel stands up, the Bible says, in the sun and says, draws his sword and says, Come, all ye fowl of the world, and feast ye on the flesh of the sons of man, for this is the battle of Armageddon. This is the wedding supper of our great God. The wedding supper. I, and listen to what he said. I show you the bride, the lamb's wife. For she was brought out of great tribulations. Listen to this. I show you the bride, the lamb's wife. She has made herself ready for she washed her garments and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. She washed her own garments. How do you wash your own garments? And he said, I charge you that you wash your garments, that you what? You, you ask of me and I will give you white remnant that your nakedness not appear. You see? So you say, how, how does she wash her garments? Remember he said, you ask of me. So it's your daily walk with God. Lord, help me. I know I have that temper. I can't get over it. And I blow up on people. Or I got that selfishness, Lord. I choose myself over everybody. I know it's bad. And I mistreat people. And they forgive me. But that's not the correct representation of you, Lord. Or I know I have that dirty habit, Lord. But remember, we preach at this church profusely. How are you saved? Grace. By, by faith. And that, not of yourself. So there's nothing you did. By grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself, lest any man should boast. Amen. Salvation is because you asked. God, God offered and you accepted. But that doesn't make you his wife. My question is, after you've been saved, what has been your relationship with Him? What have you done with all of your bad habits? And you say, Lord, see, but there's one that's just, whatever, man. Grace is grace. Live how you want. I know. And you'll come up in the judgment. And the books will be opened, and the judgment will be set. And every man will be judged out of the books. Some unto eternal life, and some unto damnation. And they'll be separated as sheep from goats. But there's some that's already passed from death unto life. The Bible says, you have already passed from death unto life. And it'll come not up in the judgment. 
for you sit with Christ in judgment. I mean, listen, you will not only judge them, the Apostle Paul said, he said, you will judge angels. Why? Because you, how could you judge an angel righteously? How could you judge them righteously? Because there's one thing you did. You judged yourself. The Bible says, let a man judge himself. And if he judges himself, he'll not be judged with the world when it is condemned. Because if you can be honest with yourself, you can certainly be honest with your friend. No, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no big deal. No, it is a big deal. Brother Peter, I shouldn't have talked to you like that. You're a minister of God. The Bible says not only give all people respect, but then that labor in the Word, double honor. I shouldn't have talked to you that way. Holy Spirit's been convicting me. See? Ah, Stephen, uh, you, you had a bad day. I know, Pete. Walking this long with the Lord, I should have known better. You forgive me. Luke, you forgive me. I shouldn't have snapped off at you. And you'll say, oh, Uncle Stephen, no big deal. I'm saying, well, Luke, you look to me as an example. I'm your pastor. I shouldn't have done that. You forgive me. I want to make it openly. That wasn't right. See? What? I've been convicted all week long. Shouldn't have said that. Grace? See, that's me. That's my relationship. Why? Because every time I went through the Lord, what did He bring up to me? Luke. Brother Peter. Grace. Listen to what the Bible says. If you're what? If your brother has ought against you, the Apostle Paul said. He said, lay your gift at the altar and go to him and make it right. Then come back up and say, Lord, I've made my wrong right. Now the Lord will receive you. See, she has washed her own garments and made them white. Because what is God interested in? Not my perfection. I'll never be perfect. But what is he interested in? My character. My character. Brother Peter writes right, wrongs, wrong. There's no getting around it. It's so simple that a fool should not err therein. You see? And the Bible says, listen, preferring one another, serving one another. And God looks upon all the people that he has saved. And there's some in there. What, is, what, what does a man pick when he's looking for a wife? I know we make a big romantic thing out of it, and it is. It is romantic. It's beautiful. But, I mean, let's say, there's, let's say there's 50 women there, and I'm a young man, and why is this one so much a, you know, she is just attractive. I mean, the other girl's a little prettier, but, I mean, there's something about that one. I mean, that one over there has got a better figure, and this one's got prettier hair, and these, this one over here's got a more beautiful face, but that one, I can't get that one off my mind. And, and, and she likes me, and she likes me, and she likes me, and I could marry any of them, but that one. I just love that one. I mean, some people may think she's homely, but mm, what is it? Because there's something in her that reflects something in me. You see? Her and I just pair well together. There's something in there, something that's in me. I don't even, as a man, I don't have the emotional wherewithal to express it, but she does it perfect. She expresses exactly what's inside of me. Well, that's what God does when He looks down upon the earth out of all the people He saved. One here and one there and one here and one there express exactly what's in here. And then He says, we call it the rapture, the catching away. And there's a song, it's a beautiful song. 
Come away. I can't sing very well, but come away, my bride, come away. He calls her to come away right before the judgment of the world. And the rest of the church goes into the tribulation. You know how there's a big doctrine? Does the church go before the tribulation or after? Does she go through the tribulation? Yes and yes. They're both right. The bride is called away. She doesn't need to be judged. But the church does go through the tribulation. Why? Why? Revelation 15, the Bible says, She came up a multitude, a great multitude, and no man can number. And, and the angel asked John, John, who are these? And John's a Jew. He goes, I ain't got no clue. I, I know the ones standing on, on the mountain, the 144,000 singing the songs of Moses. I know who they are. But he didn't even know that Gentiles could be saved. I have no clue, he says, thou knowest. And what did they say? They said, worthy, great, they sung before the Lamb, and there was a multitude that no man could number, and said, worthy, true, and great are you. For we were delivered out of the great tribulation, delivered out of the great tribulation, for we know, now we know, thy judgments are true. We went through it, for we in the tribulation have washed our garments. In the great tribulation. What? They washed them in their own blood because they never washed them in his blood. You say, Brother Stephen, they were saved, but they never received Zoe, God's own life. They never received eternal life. And what? God imparts, it's, just, it's in the reproduction act. The, the germ of life is in the male seed and it impregnates into the woman's egg. But it's actual life. It's the Y-DNA. But it's what? Blood. There's actual blood. It's transformed into the male sperm. And it goes and impregnates. And she receives. That's why she takes his name. Because she's carrying his seed line. Well, when you what? When you come into the church or you come in and you're saved and God, what? Gives back Zoe, God's own life. It's the male seed, we call it the Holy Ghost. You've been truly born again. Not just saved, but you've been born again. And you, call, or you carry the Spirit of Christ. And what? The Bible says you have passed from death unto life. And you receive the seed of God. It's the seal. God's accepted. Boom, you're mine. And we'll walk together throughout all eternity. It's his seal. And that's, he impregnates. But those over there that come up in the great tribulation, come up through the great tribulation, he never reached over and sealed them. There was no consummation of the marriage. See, we have, Samuel and Hannah are about to get married. And how do any people get married? When they get married, we have a great ceremony. He asks, she accepts, we acknowledge, but there's a consummation of that marriage. Intimate act, it's called consummation. Well, the same thing, we get it from here. There's a consummation between God and His church. He makes the invitation, she accepts, He has to consummate that marriage. And He consummates it with the Holy Spirit. What happens if he never consummated it? It's not his wife. See? So then where do they come up at? They come up 
in the Great Tribulation. So I'm, I'm laying out this. I want to take it a little bit slow because this will help understand the whole Bible. And I'm just making it simple. I'm making it simple. So then when God, <laughs> I appreciate that, when God, he, he actually made the Jewish nation, it was a bedding ground so he could sit his word in. Boom. And they were a people. And then when Christ came, it was for the saving of the world. He wiped it off. Well, John is the last apostle left. And there's one thing God has got God has to write to finish the Bible because he's heading into a Gentile world. They're all heathens. These people know the revelation of God through many, 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 many births. They know the revelation of God. And the Apostle Paul said to the Gentiles, don't boast yourself against the Jew because remember, you're the branch. And God took the, the natural groomed, cultivated olive tree and broke off the natural cultivated branches and went out in the woods and grabbed gnarly old worthless wild olive branch and came and grafted it into that fine tree. And that was you Gentiles. You were rabble by nature. You'll fall down and serve many gods at the, at the drop of a hat because you have never been birthed. But God grafted you in. And if God had grafted in, remember, don't boast yourself because the branch is not bearing the root, but the root is bearing the branch. And you have been grafted in upon the doctrines of the apostles and prophets and Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. And all the work that God did way back there from the time of Noah, almost 4,000 years, from that time all the way to this, from the beginning, you're being grafted in upon all those good works and all of that divine revelation that God had did. And you're made partakers of all the spiritual gifts and blessings. So be humble. Because remember this, he said, and I'm closing with this. Remember this. One day, when God is done and the fullness of the Gentiles is completed, God will take that wild olive branch, break it back off, and graft in that cultivated olive branch, those Jews, and they'll receive the last call. But the days of the Gentiles are over. And Christ picks that up in Matthew 24 and says, when you see that olive branch start to put forth its bud again, know that the end time, that the coming of Christ is near. Lift up your head and start looking for him. And after World War II, for the first time in 2,000 years, the Jewish nation became a nation again. For what? For the last grafting back in, the last call. We're getting close. See? We're getting close. So John's sitting down on the Isle of Patmos, and he's about to write. He's about to finish the book, because God's not going to let no Gentile write in that book. John's about to write what will take place. What did I read? I will show you things that must 
shortly come to pass. He's going to write everything, John. John, you've got to write it all, because no Gentile can write in this book. Write from now, all the way to the calling through all the ages, to the end time, the plagues, the wiping off of the Gentiles, the bringing in of the Jews, the judgment of the world, the ushering in of the millennial reign, the return of Christ, the thousand year reign, the battle of Gog and Magog, the battle of Armageddon, write it all, John. And then write the, the judgment, the white throne judgment, the coming up, the bringing in of the new city, the new Jerusalem, and eternal life. And whatever takes place after eternity starts, I'll pick it up from there, John. That's enough to get them till them and I are in eternity. So that's what John's sitting down and about to start pinning. Amen? And I want to take this slow so you understand your Bible. You understand your doctrine. It's not like somebody runs you to and fro. You're like, yeah, right. just flip over Revelations 1 and pick that up and see how it carries over Revelations 2. And you see that over in Revelations 5 when they all come up and before the throne of grace when they're called up. Yeah, you know it all. Amen? You know your doctrine. You know exactly where you stand. Amen? It's a simple book. Amen. Let's stand together. How many love the Lord? Amen. Let's pray and then we'll sing. Heavenly Father, we come before your throne of grace, Father. And Lord, we, we know who you are. You're not a pushover, Lord. We've learned a healthy respect for you, Father. When God stands up, the whole world trembles. The eyes of God are like fire. They run to and fro in the earth, the Bible says. And they search the hearts of man, even the deep parts. We don't want to have a cursory respect for you, Father, but we want to have a, a deep burning respect, God. So we ask God, show us who you are, Lord. So when we see you in your, your might and in your strength, and you're not just a doty old grandfather that lets us live any old way and never looks at our wrongdoings or our sins, but you're a, a stern and a stalwart God. And you know every part about us, Father, even our innermost being. And yet you extend to us grace. We want to say thank you, God. You don't want us to remain in sin, but you want us to overcome. Overcome our sins, our shortcomings. Help us lift higher and higher. We ask, Father, for the strength that was once delivered unto the saints, Father. Be instituted not only, Lord, in this church, but let it be instituted in me. Let it be instituted in each and every one of us, Father. The life of God. In the name of Christ, we pray. How many ask for that? The strength of God. The might of God. The glory of God. Amen. In the innermost parts of my heart, Lord. Between you and I. And wherever God's seed may be. Amen. 
Amen. Let's worship.